You want to throw on the cans? Smug look on his face. I suppose I should do that. Huh? Or I don't know how you do this. Some people are, you know, I've watched people do podcasts where they don't like it. Usually I do it with my pants off, but hey. uh, you know, we're uh, I like it. We're multicultural here at Mind Gap. <laughs> I'm into it. Multicultural, mm-hmm. <laughs> irrelevant. Mind <laughs> Podcast. Guys, welcome to Minecap. I'm Doug. I'm Justin. And we have a very special guest with us, uh, a good friend who is a filmmaker and the co-owner of the Syntax Sportswear. Please. You said it wrong. Syntax. Syntax. Was that right? That's closer. Right? Syntax. That's it. There we go. I nailed it. Oh, Syntax. Did I get it that time? You're back the other way. Shit. Guys, please welcome Chris Charles. <laughs> Woo! Yes. Thank you much. <laughs> also Elvis. <laughs> so, uh, Mr. Charles, so so happy for you to be here with us. Um, so you are a co-founder of the sportswear known as Syntax. Did I get it that time? Uh, you tell us. Syntax Sportswear. Oh, man, there he does is. it so much better than me. What That's do you know? right, Doug. <laughs> what do you know? I'm bad at accents. Who would have guessed? Shocking. <laughs> <laughs> Doug, do you should go accent. Hey, bop the boopy. Oh, there it is. It's a work in progress. <laughs> there we go. Oh, slap at the base a big time. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> Nailed that Chicago accent. For me, Chicago accent's the same thing as a Boston accent. You just, like, you know, drop the eyes, you know, welcome to Chicago. You know, for me, it's, a, it's about finding that word that gets you into it, you know? For Boston, yeah. it's wicked good, right? Yeah. Then, you can, then you can... Oh, that's right. You're from the Northeast, so you definitely have better, you know, you're from Maine originally. Indeed. So what, what, what's, what's some common Maine, uh, like... Hey, what would that sound like? You I, might see a Mainer say, about to go to Napa Auto Patch and get some patch by my truck. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's Wicked right. Good. I think of uh, Pet Cemetery when I think of that, because the, the, um, the old guy in that movie, he's very, very much... Uh, talks like a Mainer when you say stuff like that. The Stephen King movies, though, they they try to do the main dialect, and it usually comes out as some weird, like part Irish, part <laughs> Massachusetts kind of abomination. <laughs> uh, they never quite get it right, but there have been some movies that have done it well. Which movies have done it well? Uh, in the bedroom, I would say did it well. Um, that's it. <laughs> not not too many. Not I feel like, who was the was it Richard Shaw and then uh, Jaws? I feel like I feel like even though he wasn't doing a main accent, I feel like he could have you could have argued he was trying to do a main accent, like Probably. a drunken main accent. Probably, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that was an interesting yeah that accent in general because that was like what seventies. Right, because mm-hmm. there's a '70s accent in general. That yeah, everyone did. absolutely. Everyone talked that way. Like it's like, a '50s accent. Yeah, it's the transcontinental. The, the transcontinental yeah. one. See here, Kappa. Right? right, that was it. Right, exactly. Guys, that's I, it. I get it. You nailed it. I get. This. So you can't do what we're finding out about Duggan's accents is that you can't do actual like places. No. You can do times. Ah, uh, exactly. Uh, You're a time hopper accent. I'm, yeah. I'm a, I do a good time travel accents. Right. <laughs> That's on his resume. Special to special skills, time time travel access. Well, I don't understand what that is. Can you do Irish? Oh yeah! It's like what? No, yeah, Irish in the future. That's what that is. <laughs> Irish in the future. They all have turned into the Kool Aid man. Oh yeah! <laughs> okay, they're just yelling. Okay, you're very aggressive. Nailed it. Do so I get the job. You're from Maine, though. I, I am. I didn't yeah. realize. Well, I was it. actually born in Arlington Heights. Okay, so, uh, but I grew up in Maine. Okay. Yeah. I I didn't. There was an SNL. Have you? Do you watch SNL ever? Mm-hmm. 
There, I think Fred Armisen and when uh, uh, Bill Hader was on. Have you, did you ever see the Fisherman they did from Maine on Weekend Update? I did. That yeah, was the yeah. only time I was ever. I did, up to that point didn't realize Maine had an accent, and then after that I could never find it. I never had an example of it again. So until this podcast, so I'm very glad I didn't imagine that. Well, you guys solidified the fact that this is a fucking thing. When you guys have a chance, you'll have to watch the music video Maniac. Yes. Where, where you know, Doug, you've seen it, where we show you what it's like to be a true Maine outdoorsman. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's amazing. You play, okay. you play a Frenchman on the river, right? I, I have two roles. Yeah, I play a Maine uh, outdoorsman, backup dancer, and I play a uh, French-Canadian who is uh, is uh, shot off of his canoe. <laughs> By a, a true main outdoorsman. <laughs> so, it's, uh, this is a, did you guys? Is this a music video you made? Yes. Yeah, we made this several years ago for a budget of about a hundred dollars, <laughs> most of which went to renting the moose suit. <laughs> so you'll have to check it out. Oh my god! Yes. <laughs> it's called Maniacs. Maniac. Yeah. Uh, I awesome. feel like we're linking to that in the yeah. in the description. That's yeah. going to happen. We're gonna we're definitely going to show that. <laughs> Good stuff. Good stuff. <laughs> so uh, tell us a little bit about syntax. Syntax Sportswear, the idea was hatched by my uh, business partner and co-founder, John Bosher, uh, who is a, a longtime Bears fan. And like many of us who root for the Bears, uh, just got tired of the whole next year is our year mentality and was kind of looking for a better way to express himself about his favorite teams. And uh, he thought that what a better way to do that than with clothing, which can very simply uh, you know, express yourself to fellow fans. And, uh, you know, being filmmakers, we like the idea of sort of visually telling that story through through clothing and uh, came up with some pretty topical designs. Uh, you can get your very own We'll Always Have 85 T-shirt <laughs> to uh, tell the world how, you know, remind them of the good times. Nice. The big win in 1985. And if you're looking for something a little more current, you can, uh, rem- you know, let your favorite quarterback or not so favorite quarterback know you don't miss him. With a, see ya, Jay. Uh, and we're working on some other designs as well. So, um, you know, the idea is that we, we launch on Kickstarter, get the uh, business off the ground, spread the word, and uh, with a successful campaign, we'll roll out more designs, uh, especially with some of the top teams. Yeah, uh, We're actually already working on a friends and foes collection. Oh, nice. You know, teams like the Patriots and the Seahawks that are the most polarizing. Yeah. Where you, you may have somebody that wants to buy a, a positive T-shirt for that team and <laughs> a lot of people who want to buy a negative one. Sure. Too, so. Yeah. so you guys are looking to expand out beyond beyond just the Bears. Are you looking to expand out into other sports as well? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, we started with the Bears because it's football season sure. and uh, we're Chicagoans, so we know the team. But, uh, you know, we're, we're big fans of other sports as well. So, And how do you decide what's a sport so that you can decide? Oh, you son of a bitch. <laughs> We've had an ongoing debate about what, 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 can, what, is, what is actually a sport, which has raged for two particular episodes. Ah. So I was just And many years past that. And many years past that. We've been going on for a long time trying to define what, what is the line, like what makes a sport. I think what you and I have probably discussed at some point in time, I usually try to have it with pretty much anyone I work with. I'm like, so... How do you define anyone a sport? Anyone will listen to him. Pretty much. Pretty much anyone will listen to me bitch about it. So how do you define a sport? Like what would you like would you have like a ribbon dancing t shirt or Well, I think for us it's about where the fans are. You know, obviously the NFL, it's very popular. Football. America. Football. <laughs> Naturally. Beer. Uh, but you know, there's a lot of other sports we'd we'd look to get into as well. Probably basketball, baseball, hockey. Ribbon dancing. Maybe ribbon dancing, yeah. Same. Maybe they've yeah. got a solid fan stuff. base. They're small but mighty. Yeah. What about some esports? Yeah, get get those esports hey. fanatics out there. We'll, we'll do it. 
You know, or uh, drone racing. That's a big thing. Yes. It's actually pretty cool. Yes. yes. Yeah. I love drone racing. Yeah. I've seen that on ESPN. I'm like, holy shit. I don't understand how people can do this. This it, is like video games on speed. Yeah. And, and all that, but there's a real risk because if you don't do it right, you're going to wreck your drone. Oh, yeah, I bet. I bet those are really souped up, too. And not only that, but like the courses they do are insane. It's like you got to go in here and then do like a loop-de-loop and then come back around and do a corkscrew through this room and then come out this other room and then hit all these things. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know what they're supposed to be doing. I think that's the only show I watch where when I watch it and I'm totally sober, I feel like I'm high. <laughs> <laughs> so I actually don't even need to get high, you know? <laughs> It's really, it's an intense experience. Especially when they show you the perspective cam oh, of yeah. like what they're seeing in the goggles Drone and their first cam. person. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty intense. Yeah. <laughs> so that's cool. So uh, Syntax, you currently have a uh, Kickstarter going, correct? Mm-hmm. Nice. So people can donate to that if they so well choose. Yeah, you know, you basically make a pledge and uh, it gets you a shirt or a hooded sweatshirt or whatever the case may be. and. Even if you're not a fan of the Bears, uh, you can still go on there and make a small donation just to help get the company off the ground so we can make some other designs and share them with the world. Now, again, that's C-Y-N-T-A-X. Syntax, that's right. Not, what what yeah. we did is we took uh, 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 cynical designs, cynical concepts using clever syntax, and we smashed those two words together, coining syntax. <laughs> But you got to say it like that. Syntax. Perfect. See, yeah, there you go. That's He's it. getting better. <laughs> Guys, I got it. He's got it. it. Guys, check out Syntax. <laughs> it's started. It's just Mario at this point. <laughs> yeah. Hey, yo, what you doing? <laughs> I'm going to win. That's cool. Well, we'll uh, we'll definitely put a link to the the, the cool video. Yes, uh, that you were in uh, talking about this, which was fantastic. That was the first thing I noticed. Was was obviously you know we're a visual you know society, but but so you have to have a, a good video when you do a Kickstarter campaign. But yours, I was like, as soon as I went there, I'm like, well, this is a filmmaker doing a Kickstarter campaign <laughs> for something. This video is going to be solid. <laughs> and so I clicked play, and I was like, I wasn't disappointed. That video was solid. That yeah. was as I expected. It was solid. Did you guys actually film in Sluggers? Yeah, we did. That's um, awesome. Do you were, know? Someone there? Did you rent it out? Or? Uh, yeah, my girlfriend Pam, who you guys both know, yeah. um, she used to work there, and she uh, is very good friends with uh, one of the owners and his wife. Uh, and they were very accommodating. You know, we shot in the back room when it was slow. Yeah, um, it's an iconic sports bar in sure. Chicago, so it was it was perfect. And they even had this awesome Bears mural in the background. Yeah, oh, that's like, so cool. We didn't have to do any production design. It was yeah. all perfect. That's amazing. I will but, say when you watch the video, keep your eyes in the background because the, the cue from the extra in the background was just fucking perfect. Oh, yeah. Perfect. You know, that guy. I had to um, pause because I was laughing so hard at that one. He's a, he's a great guy. He's actually our cinematographer's father. And oh, nice. He, we did a movie years ago called Chicago Overcoat, and uh, he was the star of that movie, Stand In, Frank Vincent. Oh. And uh, – he, he also was like the go-to background extra when we needed to film the frame. That's awesome. So at one point, we cut together a, a reel of like all the Dudley sightings because he's <laughs> in the movie like dozens of times. <laughs> Dudley <laughs> sightings. There's Dudley with a hat. There's Dudley with you know no hat. There's Dudley with a coat. Um, so he, he came out for us and uh, you know had a, had a, a, a few beers and yeah. did his thing. And actually, that um, what you're referring to when he raises his glass, that wasn't even planned. That was something that was improvised on set oh it's beautiful and and that's the thing like when you're making movies as you guys know um it's great to have a script and to be prepared but it's also good to keep yourself open to some of those things that happen on set right they work and just just yeah the little gems that get dropped and you don't even expect them sure yeah so speaking of so you talk about these gems that weren't scripted um you've obviously made some films you're a film man 
Uh, I believe that's your official title. <laughs> that's right. It's on my business card. Film man. Film man. Uh, what, can, you, can you think of any times that were some really great improvised moments uh, while making any sort of the projects you were working on that stand out to you that were very special? Um, you know, I struggle to think of a specific moment um, just because it it's happened so much, you know. Oh, nice. Like, I, I personally don't like to get too married to a script. Mm-hmm. Some people do. Some people want the actors to do it word for word. And, and from what I've heard from actors, that's just not a healthy environment for them. It's very stifling. And uh, you want them to deliver the line so that it feels real for them. It feels right. So, um We've had we've had a lot of stuff that comes up on set just organically, or in in rehearsal. But sorry to disappoint you. I don't no, have no. that magical story. No, we're gonna sit here until you fucking oh, think of no, something. Don't yeah. do it. Think of something special. You bet you can make it up, and we'll believe you. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> no, I'm curious about that sort of stuff too because I've heard like the Coen brothers are very specific about their script. Like you better emphasize the the comma and everything like that because they write that specific. And I was listening to. A podcast with Judd Apatow where he's like basically said he goes uh, the hubris to believe that I can write something that's going to be funny two years from now when it finally gets released he goes no so and he says if you have the right people 50% of the time they can come up with a better line than what you wrote right and so he said they'll do their lines and then he's like he'll do like eight more takes and be like give me what you got and they'll just fire stuff out just and try go. different things and then because that way he goes because I don't want to be in the editing room and be like all right, uh, we got any other ones? And they're like, no. And he's like, shit. You got to pick through the ones that, yeah, you're just kind of lukewarm on. You're like, oh, well, fuck, we got to work with this. Yeah. So I think that's kind of interesting, that collaborative. Well, plus the effort. actors, are they're inhibiting and in, in embodying those characters. So like they're inhabiting the, the mindset, and they're really getting into it. So to, to let them just kind of you know go just in, in that mindset where they're just in the character and they can feel it in the moment, I'm sure you're just you, you're getting, you know, it, it presents itself opportunities to get gold out of that absolutely yeah so um you mentioned chicago overcoat which uh came out a few years ago uh starring frank vincent who was the uh who was the music supervisor on that chris i believe it was a guy named what was his name i think it was doug cochran Cochran. that's what it was yeah i was just like oh no that's right (laughs) yeah great soundtrack uh Ah. some some chicago blues yeah doug was an integral part of that process of you know, uh, getting all these um, great tracks for the, for the movie. It's, it's it sounded really like I was like lobbing up, like, oh, by the way, remember when I worked on that? <laughs> <laughs> totally not my. Honestly, when I brought that up, I honestly forgot that I had done that. Oh, he's dead so serious. He I is. was just like, uh, you said, who was this music? I was like, oh shit, that's like, right. Doug's like, who was it? He's all fuck. It was me. He's no. literally holding a cue card right now. <laughs> it's no shame. Yes, it's no uh, shame. <laughs> but that was, um, you know what. I know it's obviously been a couple of years, but do you remember anything that was that was like? Because that was like your first major like project that you worked on. It was a pretty mm-hmm. decent sized independent budget. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we were all uh, you know coming right out of film school, and uh, it was it was a learning experience. I always like to say I got my bachelor's at Columbia College and my master's doing that movie um, because there's just so much you don't learn until you actually do it. Yeah. One of my favorite uh, experiences on that. Uh, I was in the, a uh, picture car with Frank. Frank Vincent was uh, doing a scene where he was driving over the 18th Street Bridge. And, you know, we were an independent film, so we're on a budget. So some of these cars, especially when you're going to destroy them, are not in the best of shape. <laughs> sure. So we're doing the, the scene, and, you know, uh, they're rolling the camera and everything. And I've, I've got to duck down because I'm on a walkie, and I'm, you're not supposed to see a crew member in the back with Frank. <laughs> you know, weird. 
And uh, so we, we roll camera and we're, we're doing the take and Frank's coming up over that, the hill. And uh, we get a beautiful shot with the Chicago skyline. And then we cut it. And then I hear Frank say, brakes, brakes aren't working. <laughs> I'm like, oh no. And I, and I pop up and he's pushing the brakes, but nothing's happening. Oh, shit. <laughs> and meanwhile, we're like going down this hill like towards all this traffic. And I've got this guy, uh, you know, uh, our movie star, who's like, it's not working. And, I, and he starts like double foot pushing on, on the brakes as hard as he can. Right, and I'm right. like, oh, my God, we're going we're gonna to crash. And, and uh, fortunately, we, you know, we, we slowed down and he kind of like veered off uh, to the side yeah. and everything. But it was. Uh, oh, my God. Brakes. Brakes. Brakes aren't working. <laughs> so hey, always uh, always Chris- check your brakes. <laughs> Moral of the story, check those brakes. You know, you can do that with uh, checking with AutoZone. Right. Those wonderful guys over at AutoZone, they can help you find brake stuff. Well, I'm going to put this out there, too. Are you certain? Because you're working on a movie called Chicago Overcoat, right? <laughs> I, you see where I'm going with this. Are you certain that there wasn't some foul play involved? Yeah, well, you know, Frank did know a lot of actual mobsters. You know, he and Joe Pesci back in the day, they were a two-man comedy team and musicians. And they played at these clubs in New York City. And they met all these real mobsters. And that's how they, you know, pulled from those real-life experiences when they did all these movies. Goodfellas, Casino. Yeah, these they interacted with these guys and... It's incredible when you see the movies, the Scorsese movies, you know, that, that authenticity that all these guys bring to it. It's because yeah. they actually hung out with some of these guys. Because they lived it. Yeah. <laughs> to some degree. That's that's amazing. Oh, yeah. man. That's that's intense. So then we're, I guess we just, the break, we're cut. That was it. I <laughs> so feel like you just answered, answered the question. question. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so, yeah, they, you know, cut the break lines. Yeah. Someone was after Frank. <laughs> Frank, you son of a bitch. He's, he's a great guy. You're ruining a good name. Yeah, uh, but no. but actually, that movie um, even now it's still finding a new audience. We, Is it really? Uh, yeah, we recently became available on Amazon Prime. So oh, if you cool. have a membership, you can watch it for free. Nice, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, I remember when it was on. <laughs> I had a friend of mine like he sent me a text. He's like, "Dude, Chicago Overcoats on Showtime." I'm like, "Yeah, it's, <laughs> it is." That's it's really Showtime. cool, man. Yeah, it was pretty cool. It was. It was. It was that was a pretty cool experience. It um, was. Yeah, the, the first time when you see your name on something like that on, on a weird, real channel, like real TV channel, yeah. you know, it's it's pretty cool. That's got to be mind blowing. It, yeah. It's still exciting to me. You know, yeah. I um, we've had a few movies come out on on TV. Most recently, one on on Fuse and. We had another one on Showtime recently, and it's it's still exciting. You know, you, yeah. you see your name on that. It's especially if it's a good movie, and you feel proud to be a part of it. You know, sure. How does the, how does it go? Because you you getting financing is one thing, and, and getting the money to make the movie, and then and then making it. But as far as distribution goes, like how do you get the ear of Showtime, or how do you get the ear of Amazon, and get that get that on those platforms? Like, does do, do, do you get discovered? Is it through the financiers that they have, they put in a good word, or do you go out and sell the movie? Like, how does that side of it work for you? It's a hustle, and frankly, there are a lot of individuals and businesses that prey on first, second-time filmmakers who don't know how to get distribution. Mm. You know, John and I, uh, we're also partners at Three Line Films, and we had to kind of figure a lot of this out on our own and learned a lot of lessons. And over the years, having worked on a lot of different projects and, and done deals with different distributors and talked to other producers, reps, you start to learn which companies are honest and transparent and which ones, are, you know, are going to screw you. Mm-hmm. And so we actually have started getting more into the sales end of things. Nice. And, and to answer your question, what what ends up happening is you have a lot of filmmakers who think, I'm going to go to a film festival, they're going to love it, and then Harvey Weinstein's going to write me a big <laughs> check, and it's that easy, right? Yeah. And it doesn't happen that way. There, there are a handful of festivals where you can get a distribution deal, but even then, if you're at Sundance or Toronto or Cannes, 
it's still tough. I'm sure, yeah. Well, so. the competition at that point, at that level, is so thick. It like, is. I mean, you've just got the cream of the independent crop coming through. You do. And and so what ends up usually happening is you you pitch to sales agents and distributors. And uh, and that's something that we've been doing and are getting more uh, into uh, over at Three Line Films, and uh, it helps to know you know what what they typically charge, and you know who's who's actually paying, and what kinds of uh, things they can do with your movie. Uh, every distributor kind of has their own specialty. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I guess for anybody out there who doesn't really know what to do to get their movie distribution, I would say definitely try to find uh, an experienced producer's rep sales agent who can guide you through that process right uh, it's it's you know a commission you'll lose of course but ultimately you're you're probably going to do much better if, if you have someone walking you through that process right because what you stand to lose otherwise by getting taken is is i'm sure a whole different level of, of oh yeah absolutely i mean i'll tell you right now we know of a, a filmmaker I just I just hit the table leg. And Gong. That's, all right, that signifies the end of this segment. Yeah, it's right, double jeopardy. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and th- these guys didn't really know what they were getting into, and they went with this one company that simply got them a deal with another company, and oh. they didn't know that they could have gotten to that second company themselves directly. Oh, shit. And so they had a double commission situation. Ouch. And, you know, it can be brutal. I'm sure, yeah. Well, it's so funny, too, because, like, I've seen um, – there was this animated movie based on the Warhammer 40K universe because I'm a nerd. And um, I remember seeing it, you know, advertised at one point in time. I was like, oh, cool, I want to see that. And I kept trying to find it. And then I had to go to, like, the main webpage for it. And the only thing you could do was buy it for $35. And I was like, what the fuck kind of distribution deal did these guys get? And I realized that they got fucked. They went with the wrong company who was like, this is what we're going to do. And they just jacked the price up. And they didn't have it streaming anywhere. You couldn't get it anywhere. To the point where my brother just pirated it. Because I was like, I really want to watch this movie. He goes, I downloaded it. I was like, well, I kind of feel bad watching it. He goes, well, you can do that or pay $35. I'm like, Jesus Christ. Wow. Holy shit. Does that come with a happy ending? <laughs> right? Because, I, mean, I mean, I think that's a perfect example of someone who's like, we, we really want to get this 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 property out. And this is the only company that's like, yeah, we'll do it. Right. But for a price. Right. And you get locked into those deals. How long? I mean, those deals can be for years, right? Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, many, many years. It's like, yay, this basically doesn't go anywhere and there's nothing you can do about it. Unless you somehow buy your way out of that contract, I'm assuming. And if you're in that contract to begin with, you're not going to be buying your way out of it. You just get bent over the table. Pretty much. Yeah. That's, that's what happens, yeah. <laughs> Yikes. I don't like that that's, at all. Yeah, it's terrifying. Uh, speaking of getting bent over the table, um, yeah. great transition, <laughs> wonderful. I'm good at this. Now, co- now comes the part of the show where we bend the guest over the table. Well, we talk about just getting bent over. So What's the um, safe word. <laughs> there is none. Fidelio. Um, so Hollywood movies these days, like, is what do you think of the you being a film a film man? Um, what what do you think of the state of the industry? Are you optimistic? Are you saddened by it? Are there some things that are happening you're like, holy shit, that's cool. Like, you know, Avatar 2 coming out, you know, eight years after the fact. He wants it to be perfect, Doug. Yeah, and it's going to be four <laughs> more of them. <laughs> <laughs> so at that rate, every eight years. Jesus Christ. We'll be old men. Yes. Yes. Uh, everyone dies alone, so, you know. Well, it's, it's, it's a broad question, but I'll say this. I think there, there's a lot of things that are not good that are happening right now, and there are things that are good that, that are happening. So one trend we've noticed is the um, diminishing of the medium budget films. Yes. You know? mm-hmm. I think you and I have talked about this before. Studios don't want to take risks with 
you know, 20, 30 million dollar movies anymore because in addition to the, to the 20 or 30 million they're spending, they're going to have to spend another 20, 30, 40 million marketing it. And then when they go to theaters, a lot of people, when they read about box office grosses, that doesn't mean that's the money going back to the studio. Uh, the theaters are taking half of that. So if by the time you have a $30 million movie, let's say you spend another 30 in P&A, uh, that's 60. Now you need to gross $120 million at the box office just to break even. So for them, they would rather not take that risk and take some franchise, some you know, make a prequel, make a sequel, make a remake – and spend two, three hundred million dollars on it because they know there's a fan base. And even though it's a much bigger investment, it's not as risky for them. Mm -hmm. And so I understand that from a financial perspective. Unfortunately, from a perspective of someone who likes seeing a lot of different types of movies being made and different stories being told, it's it's been unfortunate to see. So you have indie movies with shrinking budgets and you have studio movies getting bigger and bigger. It's just inflated. And they're all kind of the same. Like, how many superhero movies is it like the city or the world is at stake and there's some CG villain and then, you know, they save the day at the end after mass destruction, which nobody ever talks about, too. Mm-hmm. Right. Of course. Except in Batman v Superman, they definitely discussed that. They did. They yeah. did, finally. Yeah. And they also had peas and jars. You know, peas, multiple P, peas and jars and... Fucking Jesse Eisenberg doing a terrible job as Lex Luthor. Embarrassing. So it's funny to me that you say that you feel like even though they spend hundreds of millions of dollars that it's less risky because that seems counterintuitive to me because if that flops, that flops bigger and it hurts more than if they took a risk on that medium-sized film. But the potential payoff, though, is astronomical. If you bet it all on you know, know, green 36 on the roulette, the payoff's pretty big, too. But, it's true, you know. but you know, I think that when it comes down to it, and people, uh, regular Joe Sixpack who goes to however many movies a year, right? They're going to say, "I'm going to go to this big event movie. I'm mm-hmm. going to go to Avengers, Avengers Four, as opposed to this ten, twenty million dollar movie that sure. they may not be as familiar with." It costs a lot of money to educate people about movies. Yeah, you know, John and I have been working on some movies that have theatrical releases, but they're coming out in like fifteen, twenty cities, and even that costs a lot of money just to try to inform someone. This is a movie. There are people you recognize in it. It's a compelling storyline. And then to get them to actually commit and choose that movie over Avengers 4 or whatever else is coming out, it's tough. What what surprises me all the time is when I do like a a deep dive into like trailers for stuff that's coming out and I see some of the smaller movies that I have not heard. Like like, I'll look at the release date and it's like, oh, it's like three weeks from now this is coming out. And it's got, again, like celebrities, like you said, that, that I know. I'm always surprised at how many of those movies actually do come out, but people don't. It, they just don't, they don't get because it, it costs so much to educate. They just don't get the promotion of like an Avengers four or you know the next Thor movie or anything like that. Sure, but, yeah. So that that's the sad part. Yeah. The good thing is that you have digital studios popping up and doing incredible new things. Uh, places like Netflix and, and Amazon, more recently, and Hulu. Um, coming out with some content and and also sort of like the the reemergence of television. I, I think this is kind of like the golden age of television right now. And it, you can look back at like The Sopranos really as one of the pioneer shows that made television a cinematic experience. You know, yeah. every episode is like watching a mini movie. Yeah. And uh, and now with binge watching too, you know, people just love episodic because it's not a big commitment. I mean, we've all done this. I just watched some movie. What was it? King Arthur. Mm-hmm. 
the new one. Uh, not to be confused with the low-budget version, which <laughs> I was tricked into renting <laughs> at Redbox. So I'm embarrassed to admit because I know this trick. Oh, no. I know it, and, and I was still fooled. I, you know, the sun was hitting the kiosk at just the right angle. I was oh. hot, and I was in a rush. <clears throat> I saw. I knew it was coming out at Redbox, and I thought, okay, that's probably it, and I you know, rushed through the transaction. Sure. I put the disc in, and... I'm like, man, this is a little low budget. Like, Where's Charlie Hunnamat? You know, like, and, and I'm like, okay, they're just trying to be low key, kind of like um, <clears throat> The Last Kingdom. If you've seen that yeah. show, yeah, it's yeah, much yeah. more low key, yeah. Like, yeah. realistic. I'm like, they're just doing that. And then, probably about ten minutes in, uh, one of the actors delivered a line that was so bad. <laughs> I was like, there is no way this made it. There's no way Guy Ritchie would let yeah. this happen. <laughs> And, and like, so, I'm not seeing the really stylized ver- you know, Guy Ritchie stuff. <laughs> right. I knew I had been fooled. And uh, they, they I didn't realize me. there was another King Arthur movie that came out. Yeah, this is a classic uh, technique at Redbox where they have like a, a, a similar movie and they create artwork that looks like the other one. Really? And they release them right before or right after. And oh. a certain number of people accidentally get it. And if you go oh. on Redbox and you look at the, remo- the uh, reviews... People are like, oh, fucking Redbox tricked me. This movie sucks. You know, why? I didn't know there was a thing. Is this oh, like yeah. the Transmorphers to the Transformers? Exactly. Yeah, oh. yeah. Now, look, sometimes you know what you're getting into because it's like a Sharknado type thing. Right. Yeah. Like, I just want a dumb movie. Yeah. But they will trick you. And they trick a lot of folks. I oh. had no idea that was. I, I'd never go to Redbox, so I didn't know realize that that was a whole uh, a whole issue. People were because I've heard of that these like knockoff like movies that they mm-hmm. make to try and like you know like Transformers was the example that I gave. Like it's like Transformers, but it's just slightly different. So right. somehow they sure. don't get sued. Like, um, like they probably still do. Pirates of the Caribbean instead of Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah, yeah right. Right. <laughs> Very tricky. Yeah. Very clever. I got duped on that fucking movie. Sons <laughs> of bitches. It's probably like illegal traders in the ocean waters or something like that. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, that's shit, that's so funny because I'm like, what other King Arthur movie came out? But it was just the knockoff of it. Yeah. You got fucked up. It was my... it was King Arthur colon something to do with destiny or swords or whatever. I don't know. It's just <laughs> some nonsense. Now here's the big question: Is that did you finish it? Absolutely not. <laughs> I, I ejected that thing the moment I realized it. You're like, son of a bitch. Yeah, I will I'm, not. I've been had. Yeah. yeah, I don't think I could handle that. That just that'd be like, God damn it, I got so, the wrong one. So do you? Th- oh, go ahead. Oh, I, I guess going back to the point though, that that movie is as fun as it was. I guess was entertaining, but it was way too long. It was. Yeah. You get these movies that are two and a half hours, and I think people just don't have the time or the attention span these days. And so they prefer episodic mm-hmm. because they can watch at their own pace. Right. Well, I would also say that sometimes two and a half hours just isn't enough. And it's kind of nice when you have something like Game of Thrones that has 10 hours to tell a story versus two to two and a half. And you have to still hit some of the same beats, that three-act structure and all that sort of stuff, and be like, have a nice, solid you know, story told. Whereas, like, man, I can have the story told over 10 hours, which immediately sounds like a terrible idea. But if done correctly, you're like, holy shit, that was amazing. You're absolutely right. And that's why what we're seeing right now on that show, I think, is an unprecedented thing with these characters that they've built up over years with these backstories and these interactions. And done as masterfully as Game of Thrones has done it, when you finally see them reuniting or meeting for the first time, it is incredibly rewarding. You cannot do that in a two-hour movie. Well, I beg to differ. The Avengers gave me that boner when they all met up finally. You know, yeah, but they didn't do that. In fairness, they didn't do that in a two or three hour movie. 
they did do that over 10 years. Yeah. Well, no, because 2008 is when Iron Man was first came out and Avengers came out in 2012, so they did it in four years. Okay, well, go fuck yourself. And they did it in how many movies? Uh, five movies. Okay, there you go. So each one being two hours, roughly. That's 10 hours of content. Leads into the Avengers. It's, guys, I think we figured out the math here. You need 10 hours of content so to tell a good story. So basically, we realize it takes five movies to give Doug a, a <laughs> movie boner. Right? Five movies? I think five. we I just the math. found that out. Five yeah. movies in the same universe to give me a, a okay. boner. There it's we very go. specific. Well, that's, that's how fetishes work. Ten work-y. hours yeah. or five movies, okay. whichever whichever comes first. So we're getting and close with DC then, so, uh, by DC. your own math. Yeah. yeah. That's kind of one of those boners that you wish you didn't get. Yes. Yeah. You're kind of confused when you get it. And you're like, oh, man, I, I got one. Yeah. yeah. You're like, yeah, that's, you know, biologically, my wiener's like, this should happen, but I don't want it to happen. Yeah, yeah but you just got to wait. Sometimes <laughs> you just got to wait. Right? You know? Sometimes you have no control. Your body's like, we need to do this. You're like, no, I don't want to. This sounds like a terrible idea. No, 10 hours, no! <laughs> oh, man, DC, what a what a train wreck that's been. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, they finally got it right with Wonder Woman. Uh, you know, it's not a perfect movie, but I thought that, you know, they've been trying to imitate Marvel, mm-hmm. right, and, and failing because they can't find the right tone. And one of the things I think Marvel's done a good job at is not taking itself that too seriously mm-hmm. because yeah. these are, you know, giant green monsters and men in iron suits and all this. Uh and so they've been a little too dark and grim, which can work if you commit to it and yeah. you're consistent. Um, but, uh, you know, I, th- I kind of felt with Wonder Woman for the first time that, that joy of watching a superhero movie and just having fun with it. Right. You know? Yeah. Well, I think it's that in account with, c- combined with uh, the fact that they're trying to time compress everything. Like they, they, they're putting everything into a pressure cooker because Marvel took – so much time to, and I know on this podcast it always sounds like we are just just stroking Marvel and just be like, oh, because Marvel did it this, way. but they did. They they I, you, you got to right. give you yeah. got to give credit. They pioneered the the style of like creating a universe with a film, you know, series. But DC has tried to do in two years what Marvel has done over the past, you know, ten years or so, so or five, nine, whatever the fuck years it is. But you know that. So I think. Taking their time with it and also not taking themselves too seriously—that was the the perfect combination. Plus, that was they, the equation. they have the movie studio that's just dedicated to making those movies. Whereas Warner Brothers is making other things throughout the year. So Very they're, true. They're working on other things, and um, but I also just feel like they don't. I mean, like they don't understand the the, the intellectual property that they're working with. Like Batman just straight up killing people, and Batman v Superman. It's like guys, like. I, th- I feel like you don't know. I mean, Warner Brothers, you guys did the Dark Knight trilogy. Like, I feel like you don't understand who this guy is. Like, There's a lot of stuff that I think that happens, too, that a lot of people don't know about at the studio level where you have this difficult balance of studio executives and artists who are, um, you know, and of course, Joss Whedon on, on the one hand, and then you have Zack Snyder. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you, you really have to find that right balance of, um, them reigning in budget and and tone and, and marketing and everything, but letting the artists do their thing and having the right vision for it. And I think they found the right balance with that with Whedon in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah. And from what I've heard from actually some people who have worked with um, Snyder, or at least people who have worked with him, there was a lot of uh, inner turmoil with him and the, and the studio executives. Now, I personally still think some of it's just him not doing a good job. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm not a huge fan of a lot of his movies. I think mm-hmm. just kind of a CG mess. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I remember watching, um, what was the, uh, 
it was it was the the Batman movie where we start off with uh, you know it was like thirty minutes of Russell Crowe riding around on Avatar dragons, oh, and, Man of Steel, yeah, and 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 all this oh. nonsense, and then the Matrix things, and you know it's just it just it took like thirty minutes to meet the main character in that movie, right. and it was just a world of CG, yeah. and I just didn't care about anything. Right. I looked at an article today. Um, <laughs> And it, it showed like the green screen of that. It was Russell Crowe riding on what looked like a, a, an enormous like green dildo, no. and with surrounded by green screen, he's like eyes are squinty, like he's <laughs> pretending to ride it. And I was like, that's got to be so fucking hard to do as an actor. Just be like, all right, so Russell, here's what we got. All right, so you're on this, you're on Krypton, okay, and you're trying to get this whole DNA thing of all the planet, but you're riding this really cool winged creature, all right? <laughs> it kind of looks like this. Well, not that one. Maybe like this one. I don't know. We we'll haven't decided. <laughs> one of these two, it's going to be like this, all right? So you've got the sense of purpose. you got to get there because, you know, Zod's doing all this sort of stuff. And it's just, he's like, fine. And he gets on it. <laughs> he's just know. the whole time going, all right, yeah, no, when, when do I punch somebody? <laughs> Tell me when to punch. Well, it's just like the we've famous... Talked to, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was just saying, I, th- I think you're going to the same thing. We've talked about uh, Star Wars episode... That. Th- two? Yeah. Was it? Where yeah. they were in the... Uh, yeah. The factory. The factory, where the behind the scenes for that, I don't know if you've seen this, but Natalie Portman is on... It's it's a completely blue screen set, and she's on this blue conveyor belt with like blue like Nerf arms coming down to signify the choppers, and and she gets like hit by one and she stops and stands up and she looks directly at Lucas and goes is this a joke like <laughs> like legitimately asking like are we really what is, what is this right now and i think that just embodies the entire it's too much it's mm-hmm. just you yeah. don't well, care about that it that and Ian McKellen literally breaking down in tears on the set of the hobbit because he was just in a room surrounded by nothing but green screen and not acting against anything and he just like had a mental breakdown did he really yeah he was just like what are we doing? Like, why? I'm an actor. I need someone to act with. And, and he's just like... A, and a great cast, too. I mean, we've all seen these people do wonderful yes. work in other yeah. movies. And and there's something to be said about, you know, if you look at the evolution of acting, um, actors really... There, there's When you get into costume and you're on a set and you can see real things, it really helps them get into character yeah. you know, by creating that world for themselves. So when they're when they're in a green or blue space and there's nothing to interact with, uh, it's tough. Yeah. Well, I mean, I even go back to like Jurassic Park, you know, where most of the time the the dinosaurs weren't there. They're like, all right, a T Rex is chasing you. Act scared, and they did a fantastic job of being terrified. Same thing in Game of Thrones. They're like, all right, so uh, you're gonna be sitting here, you're ready for battle, but then you're gonna see a dragon. Go. All right, now you see the dragon. <gasps> you know, and they do such a good job of. Like visualizing it and looking terrified, or just like they're shitting in their pants. Doug, you didn't hear they actually had a dragon. Oh shit! Oh my god! I thought that was just rumored. Did you read that on Screen Rant? I read that on Screen Rant too. (laughs) (laughs) Fake news. (laughs) I just imagine imagine Hagrid, you know, wrangling in you know dragons from Hogwarts or whatever. (laughs) Well, the next one is a is a horn tailed dragon. Oh, they they would totally get what? hit what? with an ice spear. <laughs> they wouldn't last ten seconds. And they're like, oh no, <laughs> yeah, that's that, that. The idea of I've taken a handful of acting classes, and the idea of I'm not a freaking actor. So I imagine putting myself in a room full of green screen, like, all right, Doug, if you could imagine what we've built for you or what we're going to do, and I'd just be like, uh, hmm. huh? Speaking like, of which, mm-hmm. you know who discovered Doug hmm. many oh, years sh- ago? Who's who's that? 
Yours truly. This guy? Oh, yeah, I found I this talent, and uh, I cast him in a student project as... It's called Here's Treble. The bartender. The bartender who didn't say a word. No, and yet... <laughs> the man who doesn't drink. And yet, without any dialogue, Doug communicated so much. Oh. Oh, my God. It's all through those beautiful blues. I remember it. that. I had, I would like, I had tape over my mouth. Yeah. I was like... Like, literally? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I was, like, taped up, because it was, it was supposed to be, like, what, a, a, it was, like, a... Some, it was like a Western. Yeah. Someone was coming into the saloon. And they're like, the oh, sheriff. no, here's trouble. Yeah, yeah. We had to do like the same scene different ways. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, Do and we have that anywhere? We do. Do Probably, we? yeah. I'm sure we can <sighs> dig it up. If you could send that to me. I had yeah. it saved somewhere. I it's mean, in, it's, it's, it's not my, very impressive. It's in my blackmail folder. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah. We might have to post that one up yeah. just so our audience can get a little peep oh, of that. that's hilarious. Yeah. I remember that. I was so excited. I was like, wait, I don't have to say anything. Do I? Like, no. I'm like, all right, I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> but he was a natural, Only you know? if I could music supervise for your next one. <laughs> this guy was hamming it up for the camera. He loved it. He was You're like, all right, up. now look really sad. Sadder. All right, you're really depressed. All right, cool, good. Film man direction. And I remember I got roped into doing film man. I uh, I got roped into doing another one because another student group was coming in after you were done. They're like, hey, can you stick around? I need you for mine. And I was like, okay. And it was really weird. It was like some dude like having sex. With a with a chick, and I was like leaning in, like giving nice. him advice. Doug, you know you're in a porn video now. You know <laughs> that's you what can... it seemed like. I was like, this is really weird that we're doing this right now. You guys don't look like college students. <laughs> yeah, hold on, it's totally different. You all look like we're forty three. Come to the back of this van. We're gonna do another shot. Just you know, you, you can look this up online. It's uh, <laughs> Weapons of Ass Destruction Four, starring Doug Cockring. Doug Cockring. That's his porn name, folks. Look it up online. <laughs> Oh my god, that's amazing! <laughs> Weapons of ass destruction, yes. number four. four. Yeah, number yeah. four. Yeah, it's been around for a while. Yeah, all I do is you play really this. have to see one through three to really get an <laughs> yeah. idea of what's going on. There. Yeah, I mean, they really built a universe because you know, again, <laughs> yeah, it's well, either the vision. Yeah, but I really didn't. I'm not going to really get into it until they built that fifth one, mm-hmm. or right, at least yeah. ten hours, because then I'll be invested the, in the yeah, universe, okay, fair and then enough. I might actually get a boner. <laughs> right. <laughs> Was there a small part of you, Doug, that when the second group came in, you kind of went? This might, I might get. This might be it for I me. Was I like, might get discovered. I was like, Chris is leaving. I'm out of my element. I don't want to be here anymore. <laughs> you like, didn't have that excitement. No, not at all. I had. This was before, way before improv. That's and my delusions like that. of grandeur. I would have gone. Oh, I've got a career in this. Two would, people. <laughs> yep. And not only that, it was just. It was so funny because everyone was. The space was. Was you were sharing space with oh, another yeah. group on the other side. So when you were done, someone would slam on the wall. <laughs> It was, it was a low-budget event, yeah. We, we had, like, the old stage where they had a divider down the middle. Yeah. And so you'd, you'd bang on the wall and be like, we're shooting right now, quiet! And then everybody on the other side would have to freeze, but they're still secretly moving because they want to get set up. Naturally, yeah. So somebody, yeah. somebody would, some grip would drop, like, you know, the yeah. light stand, he'd and they'd be like, what the stand. hell, man? <laughs> yeah, we're getting the audio. And, like, your teacher only gave you 30 minutes to do it, so oh, you had to trade the time back and forth effectively. It was insane. I was just like, what the fuck are we doing? <laughs> Yeah, it was it was insane. It was so interesting too to to be on to see how that stuff works. I'm like, I could never do this. And the rest is history. Yeah, you know? and now here I am, Ta-da. a giant asshole. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you made it as an actor, yay! <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I going back to that sort of stuff. Like you know, I think it's hard enough, you know, finding a good partner to act with and really connect with, and they bounce something off of you, and you react honestly to it. Then to imagine. Just have to imagine that there's a fucking dwarf sitting next to you and be like, oh, what's that, dwarfy? Oh, my God, my heart. You hurt my heart. Like, it's like, what? 
How the fuck are you supposed that to do that? That actually sounded like uh, legitimate Lo- George Lucas dialogue right there, though. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Dwarfy, I'm an Ewok. Go fuck yourself. Whatever, Dwarfy. <laughs> he kicks him. Some nerd, is, some nerd is saying, there are no dwarves in the Star Wars universe. <laughs> well, if yeah, Lucas yeah. had his way, you bet your ass there would be. Uh, yeah. That's how he would explain them. <laughs> <laughs> they all came from dwarves. They're all dwarves. <laughs> Fucking Lucas, man, that guy. I bet he's happy, though. I mean, with the easy $4 billion in his back pocket for the stuff that he created. That ain't bad. Money can't clean that conscience. Oh, who said he's cleaning his conscience? He's just wiping his ass with $100 bills. He doesn't give a shit. On his solid gold toilet. That sounds very impractical. Yeah. Agreed. (laughs) I don't know why you're saying that. When you have $4 billion, you can do whatever the fuck you want. That's true. That is true. And plus, he still like uses his sound studio to make do the sound design for several other movies. So it's like... (laughs) He's so fucking wealthy. Yeah, yeah. That son of a bitch. It's got to be flattering to see your idea grow like that, you know, even if you don't necessarily agree with the yeah. direction of the franchise. Sure. I mean, it's Star Wars has been reborn for a whole new generation. Well, you yeah, know? you got to realize that a whole different level of <clears throat> filmmakers are now so engrossed in the thing that you thought up that they're now progressing on without you. That's too – like it's almost like – Well, a lot of those filmmakers – became filmmakers probably because of what you created yeah, so right. for you to and then now they're helming your your franchise that i mean and i would say to this point doing it justice as well right like, you yeah. know doing a great job we'll see about the young han solo movie i don't know about that you're still on the fence that seems like a terrible idea well traditionally when you get a last minute director swap it's tough i yeah. mean the last time i remember this with a high profile studio movie was x3 you remember uh, that? X3. I think, I think it was yeah. Brett Ratner, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I don't remember this at all. In, in his Singer defense, left to go do Superman Returns. Yeah. And, which was a stinker. And took James Marsden with him. Yes, Cyclops, which is why Cyclops died. Yeah. And and so, oh. if I'm not mistaken, I think he came in. Uh, oh, X, X-Men. Yeah. X-Men, yeah. I'm like, X3, what's this? <laughs> Triple X3? Say Cyclops died, I'm like, oh, I gotcha. I think, uh, I think he had like a, you know, a month or... A matter of weeks to prepare and and pick up the reins and you know no. that's tough yeah it, especially since they probably already started with a pretty bad script because they were just trying to wrap that up well also like i think the young hansel movie did finish so now but they i know who was it the it was the guys that did the lego movie were the right ones the that, two and, guys and they basically were telling the studio to suck their dick uh, paraphrasing <laughs> i don't know if that's a quote and studio so is it's like, in the hacked emails. You yeah. can read it. Studio was like, get the fuck out of here. And they brought on, uh, what's his name? Uh, Ron Howard. Ron Howard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think they were done, but I think they wanted these guys to do reshoots, like lots of reshoots. And I'm like, no, fuck you. I'm like, <laughs> fine, get out of here. <laughs> so to some extent, and I could be wrong about this, but I think from what I read, most of the movie was done, shooting at least, and they were just unwilling to do any sort of reshoots and stuff to patch stuff up. So, But still, Ron Howard now has to take something he was not a part of and make it cohesive and go through the whole editing process and make sure everything makes sense. But I just, as we've talked about many times, I hate prequels. I don't need to know how Han Solo becomes Han Solo. I don't give a shit. I don't give a shit when he met Lando. I don't give a shit when he met Chewie. He's just fucking Han Solo, and he's dead. So let's just let's focus on something else. Because I also just read, like, they're going to make an Obi-Wan movie. Like, who gives a shit? A Yoda movie? I don't fucking care. Like... Can't we do an anthology without these main goddamn characters? I, I will 100% agree with that. I'm waiting for the Ewok series. Uh, 
They they've done that. <laughs> I mean, it's just like I feel I feel like we've got that. One. I can I've got VHS. You can borrow if you need to. I want to I want a situational comedy with oh. with the uh, Wookies. Oh Jesus! You know where they're just like at the office, like <laughs> you know, water cooler talk. Exactly. Yeah. Just, just basic fun stuff. You know, who didn't clean the fish? They yeah. microwaved in there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I just want to explore this universe more without having to get the backstory on every main character. I'm like, right. this is becoming almost incestuous of like, yeah, well, what about this guy? Let's go all the way back to the beginning and see when he was born. Very Lucas-esque. When he was conceived. Mm-hmm. Let's look at the moment that Obi-Wan was conceived. Let's take let's, t- let's start there. Yeah, yeah Dwarfy. Might... <laughs> <laughs> all right, Dwarfy. Who, I mean, who were Obi-Wan's parents? I mean, maybe we should start there. It's like, no, fuck you. Let's... Well, well, this is exactly what we're talking about earlier. Yes. It's just not, it's not a big risk when you're... When it's you're safe. Tapping into that franchise, right? Yeah, you auto- they automatically know that X number of people are going to see this movie, and it doesn't even have to be great. I mean, honestly, it's funny because I talked to a couple friends of mine at work that are diehard Star Wars fans, and two, both of them said, "You wouldn't even need to show me a trailer; I'd go see this movie." I'm like, "That's your built-in wow. stuff, right yeah. there." And honestly, I feel like Marvel kind of does the same thing with a lot of their stuff. I mean, obviously, some of the more out there things like Doctor Strange, Guardians of the Galaxy originally, and things like that. People didn't know them; they had to kind of sell people on them. But you slap Avengers three, people are going to show up to go see Avengers three. Like, well, you've also yeah. taken the time to build up very yeah. similar to them. You've built up the trust, like you've gained. Yes. You said, "Look, we put like with Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. We, we it was something you didn't know." We put it out there, and you guys loved it. So trust us, this next one's going to be and just to be as honest, good. honest, they haven't really failed. I no. mean, there's definitely some movies that are better than others. <clears throat> yeah. But they haven't really struck out or anything like that. They were kind of like Pixar for the longest time. Pixar never had a stinker until I think it was like Cars 2 or something like that. Fr- frankly, they're and it's not even like they're getting on base hitting singles. I feel like every movie's been a triple or a home run. They've and, made so yes. much money, it's disgusting how much money, because they definitely make their money back, and then some. Plus, you think about the merchandising stuff that goes along with it, oh, which yeah. is just, oof, it's insane. Not to mention the additional stuff they're going to start installing in Disney moving forward, right. which now that's 2017, that contract's up with... Universal Studios, so now they can really start digging in and build, fleshing out that stuff, which I think is amazing. Really so, owning that property. So yeah. really, I mean, that stuff extends because that's Disney, and it's and it's you know down to the core is like how can we take something and just really get it to as many people as possible, many different you know segments as possible. Right. Um, but I look at that sort of stuff, and I'm like, it's still again, they still have to make something that's pretty decent in order for it to sell like this. And so they have an idea, they have a team of people that are like. This is how we see this whole plot structure going together. So they have a skeleton in place, and then they get in really talented people, like actors and directors, and they have, I think, probably the same crew, I would imagine, for most of these movies, at least, you know, for the most part. So people know how things are supposed to work. They've got a good relationship with Kevin Feige, who's the visionary for all this sort of stuff. So they have a really nice sort of stable structure for what they do which just allows them to sort of and i hate to use the word churn but they do churn out these movies i mean this is the first year we're getting three marvel movies yeah in the same mm. year yeah while having the defenders and iron fist and punisher i think is coming out this year also yeah like agents of shield agents of shield there, yeah. yeah it's like holy the shit humans yeah right then humans uh, legion Legion, yeah, and it's there's all a, Legion's FX, so that's true. Indeed. Which was fucking amazing yeah, too, by the way. Fox has another one coming out though about uh, in the X Men universe. Yeah, was it called The Runaways? I think it is, or something. I can't like that? remember what it's called. I just just saw the trailer like last night. Yeah, 
I don't trust Fox, so I don't either. I'm just yeah. yeah. yeah they're they're they're, they're they're like Sony with Spider Man. They're just gonna take that X Men franchise and just just drill it into the ground until <laughs> until they'll never ask for help though. Right. They'll be in a sinking ship that's on fire, and they'll just look at Marvel and be like, "Fuck you, we're taking this ship down <laughs> to the bottom of the ocean." <laughs> and Marvel's like, "That's fine. We'll, we'll be patient. Wait. We'll wait. We'll we'll send right. in a salvaging crew." That's that's exactly what it's going to be too, because eventually they're going to drive it so far down that they're just going to go fuck it, and they're just going to give it up. Marvel, but I mean, all right, that's what go. they did with Daredevil yeah. and Ghost Rider. Eventually, they're like, nah, we don't want these. Spider Man more recently, and maybe next Hulk. Well, Sony was at least smart enough to be like, hey, can we partner with you? Because we're obviously failing, and this is a very you know worthy franchise. So let's partner up, which is great. I still don't understand how they're going to do a Venom movie in their own universe. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Or any other movies that they're going to do outside the Marvel Universe. I'm like, I don't think you guys get how this works. But I understand you still want to make money off of it. But for them to partner up with Spider-Man and to have a very successful Civil War as well as uh, Homecoming. Like, both those movies were fantastic with Spider-Man. They did an excellent job. Because Marvel's like, just bring it over here. We'll produce it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You can have your name on it, too. But we'll do the heavy lifting. And we'll make this good for you again, guys. All right. We'll get you back some brand loyalty. And then they fucking put out the Dark Tower. Those goddamn <laughs> bastards. Those fucking bastards. I think uh, the movie Boner just went away. Oh, yeah. <sighs> He's, it's movie flaccid now. Yeah. yeah. Although I am excited for It. I think that movie looks fantastic. Although, I hope. I think it's still a Sony movie, though, I think. I hope you're not disappointed. Me too. It breaks my heart when your heart gets broken. You know what? <laughs> Thanks, man. That's real empathy right there. That's a good friend, you know? <laughs> But I'm hoping because... Just only with movies, though. Only with movies. You could suffer a personal tragedy. I wouldn't give a shit. <laughs> Don't care, man. Get over it. Pull yourself <laughs> up by your bootstraps. Um, but yeah, like it, just to know that they're... I love the book, It, and to see them look like they're trying to do it the correct way. It's going to be over two hours, which I think is awesome. And they already have the sequel prepared to go up for It's eight it, away from it. ten. Right? And at the end of the second one, that's you know four away from six. <laughs> I don't... Look, I don't do math, and I feel like that's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> six away from ten. How about that? There you go. That's better. Yeah. That's four away from, I was like four plus six equals ten. It's twenty five or six to four. Am I right? <laughs> Rewind the this. tape. Rewind the tape. <laughs> Let's go back. Uh, someone uh, add that up for me. <laughs> um, before we wrap up, I want to kind of touch back on one one other thing. If we could kind of summarize, kind of your thoughts on where the industry is. So, do you think, kind of moving forward, prediction wise, uh, and this will be for both of you, do you think that the <clears throat> that we're going to see a greater divide where Big movie studios, like the the traditional movie studios, are only do you think only going to be taking on more franchise, big budget ones, and the streaming services are almost going to be like the new United Artists, where like you're going to get more of the stuff that's being produced for the sake of the art, or for the sake of the storytelling. I do, I do, and and I think some of the digital studios are finding that they don't necessarily need to have a Game of Thrones tentpole show, even you know Netflix. One of their uh, best shows is Orange is the New Black, and I don't know if you guys watch, but it's a terrific show, refreshing to see a a female prison show for Mm -hmm. once, and it's not a a massive budget, you know, it's all limited to this prison for the most part, but it's one of their best performing shows. So they can kind of exist in that um, area where they're doing the lower budget films Mm -hmm. and the the medium budget films, and as well as episodic uh, if the studios continue going to the you know uh, mega budget blockbusters, and 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 that's great, you know it's it's nice because sometimes you see 
different stuff coming out on Netflix and some of these other companies. Um, uh, I do think that it's a bit of the Wild West still Mm -hmm. in terms of how do you monetize that and and the overall direction. But that being said, it's providing a good opportunity for independent content creators. Soon it's going to be tough to get in with these companies. Mm -hmm. Um, I think you're already seeing, you know, Netflix, for example, doing multi-picture deals with Adam Sandler. I don't get that at all. But it's because he's Adam Sandler, and those movies can suck donkey balls, but some people people are watching them, so they're going to make them. Um, So you're starting to see more of that, and it's getting more difficult to get in with with these companies. But you also have smaller digital studios popping up all the time. Uh, and and starting off with the the small shows, let's not forget Netflix's first show was Lilyhammer, mm-hmm. you know, oh, wow. which was a very low budget, dip our toes in the water, let's see how this works uh, show. So if you can kind of get in with some of those newer uh, studios and, yeah. and start off uh, at that level and grow with them, it's a good opportunity for independent producers. Well, I just saw a uh, an article in Variety um, that was talking about it was an interview with the CEO of Netflix or the sorry like the. the was it the creative director or the content director of Netflix and uh, talking about how they have reformed the way we watch television and that they are trying to now pivot towards reforming the way that we watch movies because I mean even though they are cinematic in nature they're the episodic you know the fact that they're episodic would makes them more TV relatable right they're mm-hmm. they're more akin to like a TV show so kind of changing the way TV looks but it looks like they are gonna be going into more of a movie house movie studio type thing and they're looking of getting i think they're looking to spend about six billion more sorry seven billion uh dollars um more into that i think they they say taking on seven billion dollars of debt or i can't remember how they phrased it but basically they're looking to pump seven billion dollars into smaller budget films so i mean the the amount of films that they can crank out for that money is going to be astronomical that's pretty impressive yeah i have a, a small question too before we start wrapping up is obviously 3d movies are out and about now, um, which I'm still like, whatever. I don't give a shit. I feel like people aren't making a 3D movie to really use utilize storytelling. Um, I've heard a lot about VR and a VR experience. Do you think VR eventually could be used in films to as like kind of uh, the next? I don't know if you want to call it fad or maybe a, a unique storytelling uh, medium to, uh, to to make movies. I do. I, I think 3D. You know. To speak on that for a moment, it's cyclical, that trend. You mm-hmm. know, it comes and goes, and it's kind of on the way out again. And when you look at 3D movies, it's it's not that more people are going to see them. It's just that they're charging you more to see the movies. Right. right. And uh, as, as more options become available for us at home and with a home entertainment center, who's going to go pay $25 to go see a movie in 3D? So I think that's going away. But I do see potential with VR. Mm-hmm. I can't say as I'm that familiar with it. I actually sure. tried it for the first time somewhat oh, recently, really? and it was it was pretty cool. What? Well, yeah, because I, I saw something. It was an article. It was I think it was kind of an avant garde sort of director guy, but he was making a movie based on like with VR in mind, and I was really fascinated by the idea of what that would do because that seems like it seems like it'd be amazing for like horror films. Because I know mm-hmm. it, they're really uh, promoting like a VR, like head down into the sewers to meet it, sort of VR, like 360 experience through Facebook. Yeah, which I'm like, that sounds horrifying. Um, but I imagine like the kind of obviously the immersiveness you can get with something like that would be pretty impressive. Like imagine they redo uh, 
Saving Private Ryan, and you get to be there for that. Oh, my a, God, you're on the beach? On the beach, oh and you're just, God. like, looking around, like, the 360 view of, like, everything that's happening, like, the sound and everything, and you're just like, Jesus Christ, like, the kind of, like, stories and experiences you can have with that. I imagine dramas would be pretty boring, um, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Check out Steel Magnolias in the VR experience. <laughs> it's like, yeah. a lot of standing around going, all right. All right, cool. Wow, look at those drapes. Um... <laughs> happening in this room but imagine like you know that uh airport scene of civil war and you can see it in the vr experience like checking out everything that's going on or i don't know like it'd be really interesting to see again i have no idea how that would work in that sort of regard either but i think that would be kind of an interesting story to talk i think it'd be so immersive now i don't know if they would how well that would enhance the story i think it might be distracting because you're so busy going like what am i doing what are we doing? Perhaps. I don't want to miss it, anything. I think this is going to affect the video game industry as well. Oh, I, don't, I don't know if you guys watch Black Mirror, but um, it's a great show about the sort of set in uh, near future, about mm-hmm. the perils of technology. And they actually have an episode about VR, and uh, it deals with horror, and it is quite terrifying mm-hmm. uh, and kind of speaks to some of what you're getting at, Doug. So I, I do think that VR is going to have an increasing role in, in film, television, and video games. Yeah, I've already seen with video games, like, I watched something today. It was, it was hilarious. But it was literally people on the deck of, like, a Star Trek ship. And there's a guy who's, like, the captain. He's, like, pointing at people with this VR stuff. He's like, hey, can you guys go and do the scanning? Can you guys do this? And uh, he points to another guy, and this uh, obviously a terrible visual thing for a podcast. But this guy who's also playing looks at him as, like, a crew member. He points to a girl who's sitting across from him, and then he kind of does this. Like, holy crap, this girl's got big boobs. Like, he, just, he did it silently, but he was like, hey, yeah, eh, eh. I was like, what? And everyone, 34. And everyone, everyone in the room was like losing their minds because they're trying to pretend like they're like, all right, we're on Star Trek. Right. He's <laughs> like, hey, go ahead. Can you do those scans? She's like, I'm on it. And this guy goes, hey. I guess that's simple. I mean, it makes it feel like you're in the workplace. They've always got that one creep-ass guy. That's- well, hey, the internet. What, what was the first thing we did with the internet? You're right. right. Porn. Porn. Right. Well, same with virtual reality, Virgi- right? Oh, my so God. Yeah. In happen. fact, I do believe Weapons of Ass Destruction 4 is coming out on Oculus Rift. <laughs> oh, on Oculus Rift. Ring, Doug yeah. Ring. Dude, well, I mean, honestly, VR in, in the porn universe, I mean, Jesus. Ugh. That would be weird, I feel like. You know what's not weird? The Throwdown! It's the Throwdown. Throwdown. All right. So in today's Throwdown, I felt like it would be very very fitting to do a clash of the cinematic titans. Oh, shit. So today's Throwdown is going to feature one Mr. Martin Scorsese up against one Mr. Steven Spielberg. Oh, so who would win in a fight to the death? To the death. So this is purely physical, right? Yes. Yes. Well, I mean, so in the past we have brought other things into it, but we'll start physical and we'll see where it goes. Maybe we could go emotional next. We could go emotional or just <laughs> volume of library. Like maybe for weapons, they each have a bookshelf of all their library of work and they can they can, at one point they can turn around and like topple it onto the their opponent. <laughs> okay, guys. I'm I'm going to say based on the body of work cuz physically I think they're you know, I'd Old. put him in the same weight class, right? You know, sure. I can Scorsese see that being seems a, shorter than Spielberg, but I don't know. But he's tough, you know. Yes. I can see that as a, a UFC matchup. He's right? a kid from yeah. from New York, right? Right, yeah. yeah, scrappy. So I'm gonna say, based on the body of work and what they've really delved into, I'm gonna go Scorsese. Absolutely, he's he's gonna throw down, and you know, Spielberg will put up a fight, but 
he's a little too family friendly, so I think Scorsese's going to win. I feel like uh, Spielberg's going to call in a friend, a longtime friend, uh, George Lucas, in to uh, double team on Scorsese to get the the upper hand. He's going to be like, George, get over here. That's exactly how Steven Spielberg sounds. Well, if, that, if that's the, the rules, then I'm saying that Scorsese's bringing in Leo, you know, and he's uh, he's just going to freak out. Or De Niro. <laughs> he's going to freak or out. Or take your pick, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, feel, like, like, I feel like Scorsese's got a deeper yeah, I was like, uh, Jack Nicholson, you he's know. He's going to bring right. in the cast of Goodfellas. <laughs> right. <laughs> Ray Liotta. I feel know. like at that point, Luke would just go, oh, crap. He's like, yeah. No, he's like, no, no, no. It's all right. I've got Jedi's. George, they're not real Jedi. No, 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 wait, wait, I got Jedi. No, no, no. All right, fine. We'll get the stormtroopers. They don't shoot real blasters, George. They're All terrible right. shots. AT-ATs. Those things are miniatures. Whatever. What do you want from me? Come on. I don't know. It was all blue screen when I was. Let's doing get it. Let's get Harrison Ford in here. Harrison Ford. He'll yell at him, right? All right, Harrison. I, I have to give it to Scorsese, too. I think Scorsese has more of a, a the street cred. Mm-hmm. I feel like yeah. he's, like he's going to be able to tap into a darker side, and he's going to just pull something out that, that Spielberg's not going to be ready that, for. That or Spielberg's been repressing all this stuff because he has to make family-friendly you know, He just stuff. goes berserker. And he just kind of turns into like he just kind of balls up his fists and starts spinning around, like just, just throwing fists, and Scorsese's like, jeez, whatever. But Scorsese also looks like the kind of guy that carries a knife in his boot. You know, okay. yeah, and he's be like, "Oh, no problem. Hold on, I just got to scratch." You know, pulls out a, a switchblade or a uh, you know toothbrush that's been filed to a point. <laughs> <laughs> he kind of takes off his glasses and goes, "Fine, let's get to work." Takes yeah. off his glasses and just starts stabbing him with those. Yeah. Anything you yeah. can find, really. I'm gonna say the Raging Bull's gonna win that one, hands down. Yeah, I think that's pretty fair. Yeah, that may have been the I, fastest I've, throwdown we've ever done. Now, in fairness, to play devil's advocate, I feel like Spielberg would put up a fight. Uh, I feel like, I feel like Spielberg has here. If we're gonna put him in in the boxing terms, I feel like Spielberg has more of the elegance and more he could dance around. He's got a little more finesse, whereas Scorsese's more of the brute. He's gonna come in and if he lands one on you, you're done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like that's kind of that's kind of their their personalities. But in the end, I feel like I feel like Scorsese is is gonna come out on top. Yeah, Scorsese seems like someone you just like don't want to fuck around with. Right. You know. Like he's like, yeah, I just bury my soul on cinema. That's my life. I'll bite your ear off. <laughs> I'll bite your ear off if that means I'll win. Don't fuck with me. Exactly. Yeah. He's gonna look up when he says, Don't fuck with me, Spielberg. I mean, you you have to imagine that some of his movies there's a darkness within him, right? I right. mean they're they're masterworks, some of them, you know, and, and you have to have that in you if you're communicating that yeah. uh, as well as he does. And, and so I think, uh, you know, I think that Spielberg would tap into the aliens and he just call them in. I feel like Spielberg's had some sort of encounter. All the alien movies he's made. He knows something. Something's up with him. I don't trust him. Someone get Tom DeLonge on the phone and have him call Spielberg and have him talk to each other. Where do you, who, who do you think uh, Tom DeLonge's been hiding out? Right. He's Spielberg's saying, basement. Yeah. He's been, he, he burrowed into the there. The crawl space under Spielberg's Spielberg stairs. Can't get, Spielberg can't get him out. He's, he's called He's called many people. He's even called Scorsese to try to get DeLonge out of there. He's sitting down there. All of a sudden, he's hear like scratching in the walls. He's like, God, Tom's in the wall again. <laughs> no, I'm not. Tom. Get out of here. Tell me what you know. <laughs> Did you know I made a song called Aliens Exist? Yes, Tom. I know you made that song. There, I don't know if aliens exist. Bullshit. I celebrate your whole body of work. <laughs> War of the Worlds. It was amazing. 
Even AI. I liked it. All right, so Scorsese for the win? I'm going Scorsese. Right. Scorsese for the win! Okay, for we, the win! We got it. We did it, guys. We did it. So, Chris, thank you so much for being here. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, I've been wanting to do this for a long time, so thank you for making the time. Thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely. And uh, thanks for helping me plug Syntax Sportswear. That's right. So where can people find out more about Syntax Sportswear? Uh, they can go to SyntaxSportswear.com <laughs> and check out the Kickstarter video. Get a couple of T-shirts, a couple of hoodies. Just give us your money. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. We'll put C-Y-N-T-A-X. up uh, That's important. correct. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. we'll put a link to the uh, the Kickstarter and everything like that uh, on our page. Do you want to try your Chicago impression now to the end of the show? Hey, check out Chicago Syntax. <laughs> hey, sportswear. I really thought you were drowning it's, there for a second. <laughs> it's in the game. <laughs> <laughs> That that, did I do that? Legally, right? we have to say that is not the official slogan of Cinex. Buy Menon. Sure. <laughs> Lego my my ego. I got nothing else. Sorry. Doug, where can they find you, <laughs> guys? We can find Mind Gap on Facebook. I, uh, did, I did not discover this man. <laughs> I, I, I take it back. I'm yeah. going to burn everything, <laughs> guys. You can find Mind Gap on Facebook. Look for our page there. We are also on Twitter at Mind Gap Podcast. And within the digital realm of zeros and ones, you will find Justin Strandland. You can find me online at justinstrandland.com as well as Instagram and Twitter at Justin underscore Michael, spelled M I K E L. It is the fun way of spelling it. While you're in the online realm, check us out on iTunes and on Stitcher. Subscribe to us, review us. It takes just a few seconds to write a review, and it means the world to us so yes. unless you want to break our hearts write a review that's what I'm saying you really today. thought about that you're like mm, I don't know I paused and uh, I wanted dramatic that pause. dramatic effect. Yeah, pause for effect write a fucking review <laughs> or I'm gonna sick Tom DeLonge on you I'm gonna hey, put it in your walls all the small things am I right and Doug will do a personal cell phone voicemail message for you with a Chicago dialect <laughs> hey am I not available right now Bubba the boopy oh no it's uh it's a Chicago time <laughs> also check out twoeast8th.com slash mindgetpodcast and twoeast8th.com slash the best bar podcast ever for, uh, for more fun stuff. And then just twoeastdeath.com. You can find some shit there, too. Yes, guys. Yeah. Thank you so much, Chris. Thank you again. Thanks, guys. Justin, thank you. Doug, thank you. Chris, thank you. No, I insist. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. No, thank you. No, really. Thank you. Thank you. Arigato. Gracias. Bye-bye. Mind Gap Podcast. <laughs>